This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, Browns fans? Pumped to have you in today. We have a really, really fun episode for you. I, I try to do this every year. I did not have the uh, ability to get to it last year for a myriad of reasons, really. But I, I like to, when the Browns make picks in the draft, they bring these guys in. You hear from them on their own end of things with uh, you know their interviews and stuff of that nature. You see on YouTube, you read about them. But then I like to take about a week and give people a time to process who they are, and then talk to people who covered these guys at their university. Tell me about, you know, what they were like to cover, what kind of person they are, what kind of player they are, and I think we have a really good episode that we're going to break this into part one, and then we'll have part two on the Browns' last four picks coming up next week. But I wanted to get the first four picks out because, you know, everybody's most interested in these early guys and the Browns invested heavily in them. And I think we have a group here of uh, of people who covered these teams and these players closely that you guys will enjoy learning about the Browns' first four selections. So, um, yeah, I hope you do enjoy this. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, maybe five stars on the channel here for the podcast. And then also check out that YouTube channel, click subscribe, where you can get all of our live content as we are growing that OBR channel like crazy. Again, just a reminder to help us out. Subscribe today. We appreciate you very much. So we're going to lead this thing off with Louis Vacare, who covers the Northwestern football team for the Wildcat Report, which is a rival site. So not a ton of um, you know Northwestern coverage going on. It was a little little challenging to dig to find Louis's work, but he does a great job. Has some great insights on Greg Newsom. So hope you guys enjoy this first part. Let's get over to our first interview with Louis. All right, so we are going to talk about Greg Newsom because, you know, everybody should be pretty excited about this player. And when I was looking up who to talk to, uh, I, I came across a good name here um, from Wildcat Report. I think this is a re- really good interview, and I, I introduced him just a minute ago off air. Louie, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? We're, we're, we're good. We're good. We're trying to figure out all we can about these prospects the Browns have brought in. You know, I think I, think I am... Uh, an interesting case study because I only really watch the tape. And the, and the thing we talk about is how well we know these players outside of football. And I don't think we always get a great feel for that. Just in the quick draft process, you, you know, you hear some things about these people, but you don't really know. And I think that that's a big reason why after uh, the Browns go through their draft every year, I try to get people on who have spent time around them, covering them, writing about them, interviewing them. And that's why I wanted to do, uh, this this usual angle, and I and I think that Greg Newsom is a is such an interesting player because 
not only did he wear some stuff that we, you know, certainly I love on draft night, but just the way he talks and, and uh, I think he's very articulate. He, he's very smart. And, you, and it's no secret to go to Northwestern. You have to be a, a diligent person. You have to be a smart guy. You have to be able to handle yourself well. And I think Greg did that. So I'm, I'm interested, Louie, kind of what your first impressions of him were when he came in. I know he was an IMG guy for a year. And were they really excited about him? Was there a lot of buzz surrounding him when he arrived at Northwestern? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my first uh, encounter with Greg was uh, when he was a high school junior. I talked, uh, I interviewed him because Northwestern was recruiting him a little bit. He came from uh, Glenbard North High School here in the Chicago area, which is the same school that produced Justin Jackson, one of the, you know, Northwestern's biggest star running backs a few years back. Mm -hmm. So I talked to him then and he he was a long, skinny kid, you know, very skinny guy uh, that's really transformed his body over the years. Uh, but then he went to IMG for a year. And I think that really helped him because in Illinois high school, people just weren't throwing on his side or whatever. You know, he was kind of an, on an island out there and nobody tested him. And he said, IMG, you know, everybody out there is at his level or higher. Everybody's a four or five star kid down there. And they went after him every day in practice. So he thinks that uh, he really sharpened his game a lot there. And he came in with a lot of confidence. He's a very confident kid. You know, you mentioned he's, he's a smart guy. He's an articulate guy. He's a leader. He's a very physical, aggressive corner. But the thing that stands out the most to me is his confidence. He's got that. He doesn't have a memory, you know, and he is confident in his abilities that he will take on anybody. And he really gave Northwestern secondary its swagger last year. I mean, he he liked to chirp out there. And that's something that, you know, Northwestern hadn't seen too much over the years. So he was the guy that uh, really brought a lot of that swagger to uh, what they call the sky team, the secondary, and they were number one in the nation last year in pass efficiency defense. So he was a big part of that reason why. And uh, I think he was a great pick for the Browns. I think Browns fans are going to love him. So, you know, a guy who he, he ended up playing some, his, his freshman year, walk me because he didn't in the press conference, he talked about, um, you know, he did get hurt his freshman year, but maybe there was some sort of, plan to have redshirted him, but he decided not to redshirt. What, what, what was that story about there? Yeah, that's correct. So he, he played in his first game. Um, he didn't start, but he played in the first game against Purdue. And, uh, you know, he did pretty well and he earned a starting job right away. I think the next week he was the starter and he played four games and then he hurt his ankle. So um, I, I, I can't remember. He, 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 he tore something in his ankle, ankle or something like that, but he missed, he was going to miss the rest of the season, but, uh, Northwestern won the big 10 West that year and they played in the big 10 title game and he was healed by then. So, you know, coach Pat Fitzgerald went to him and said, you know, do you want to play in the game or do you want a red shirt? And he decided he wanted to play in that game. You know, he was going to take one for the team. He was going to lose his red shirt just to be able to play in the big 10 title game. Now they lost that game. He ended up starting, he started in the big 10 championship game and played pretty well. 
And then he also started in the bowl game. They went, they uh, beat Utah in the holiday bowl that year. So he really, you know, that shows you what kind of a team player he is, that he was willing to forfeit that extra year, you know, that fifth year to come back and play for the big 10 title. He knew what, you know, what a huge stage that was and what a big game it was uh, in Northwestern's history, really. So he, uh, he decided to play in that game. And then, uh, you know, he started, if, if I had one knock on Greg Newsom, it's that he, he has been injury prone. You know, he played that those six games, so he missed half the season his first year. I think he played nine games his second year, so he missed a few in 2019. And then even last year, he missed the first couple games of the season and then opted out. Uh, you know, he, he got dinged up again and didn't play in the bowl game. So, you know, he has had some injury history, but really that to me is the only knock on him. He's a uh, tremendous player all the way around. Do you know what that 2019 injury was? That's one thing I could not find. I don't know if you guys covering him knew, but the, I often just left it as an undisclosed injury. Yeah, I'm t- I was I couldn't remember either. I, I thought it might be shoulder, but I can't remember. And I did the same thing. I took a look and I couldn't find anything. And I, I just don't remember, you know, all these years blend <laughs> together after a while. It's hard to keep track. And, you know, the I tell you, Northwestern's very secretive about their injuries. They don't like to let, you know, it's upper body, lower body. They're like the NHL, you know, and they don't uh, let anything on if they don't have to. So it is kind of hard to figure out. For sure. No, I understand that. Have you, have you, when covering him, has he been a guy that uh, prides himself tackling wise? Has he, has he been vocal about that? Because he, he on film is, is somebody who will come up and hit you. I know he's got a little bit of the injury history you just talked about. And, and really ultimately what was probably talked about most with him was the fact that he missed so many games over the past three years is there's no physicality issues with him on tape though. I mean, I think I see a guy who will bring, you know, bring himself into people and, and not and not what I call ankle bite and take people's legs out. He likes to try to hit people. Is that something that he's talked about uh, or been vocal? The coaching staff has been vocal about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he's a physical corner. It has been from the day one, you know, and he's the guy that's he's put on quite a bit of weight. I think he's put on 20 pounds in his college career. So hopefully that'll help. Uh, with the injury problems and things like that, because he was a really skinny kid as a freshman. But even then, he would he would come up and hit anybody. And he's a guy that, you know, he wants to go after the the number one receiver. I remember last year when they played Purdue, David Bell was the top receiver in the Big Ten. And Greg Newsom, I mean, he wanted him. He was talking to him the whole game. And he got the better of that matchup. And I, I remember a couple times in that game, especially, they'd throw a little – uh, screen pass and he would close hard and hit people in the backfield. I mean, he's a very physical guy. He, he does not shy away from contact and he's got that mentality. He's the best player on the field and, you know, he's not going to shy away from anything. He's a guy that, uh, you know, he, I think he enjoys that physical part of the game. And if you watch him, even in coverage and stuff like that, he likes to, he likes to bump guys. He likes to get up, you know, play press coverage and uh, knock their timing off at the line of scrimmage. So th- I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. He's not like a, you know, a Deion Sanders type that, uh, you know, just covers guys and that's it. He will come up and tackle people. He, he's got a great personality and we, we've talked about this a little off air. Is he, is he a guy that the team was drawn to defensive leader? I don't know if he was a captain in his time at Northwestern, but, but certainly a smart kid who very aware of social issues, very aware of the things around him. Uh, and I think that that, and I think the Browns talked about this 
in their press conference with him, Andrew Barry mentioned, you know, he's a very smart guy, kind of quiet manner off the field, but he's a flip the switch player is what he called him is. I'm just kind of always curious from somebody who covers him, you know, off, off the beaten path, kind of just covers him before he's really well known. Is he a guy that, that demanded respect from teammates and got that respect? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He, he was not a captain, but he was, uh, like I said, he was the leader of that secondary and he really brought its swagger. He's the guy that brought the confidence and you talk to players uh, now, like uh, AJ Hampton uh, spring practice. He had a press conference. He's another cornerback. And he talked a lot about Greg Newsom and that he, he wants to take what he learned from Greg Newsom, just about uh, you know, his work ethic and being a leader and having that confidence. You know, he said Greg Newsom was a guy that was, why not me? Why can't I be the best player on the field? You know, why can't I make the plays? Why not me? And that's the kind of mentality that they that he brought to that locker room. And I, you know, I can't emphasize enough that the swagger that uh, the confidence that that secondary had last year and from him, especially in that, he would get in guys' faces and he would talk and he he really, you know, he would talk the talk and then walk the walk on the field. So he was uh, he was a guy that really brought a lot to that locker room. And I think he got respect uh, from every everybody, all of his teammates, as well as uh, opponents on Saturdays. That's awesome. It's great to hear. I, I'll ask you one question. I try to leave everybody who covered the these players that I come across or, or uh, about this topic. Um, if you were, you know, you were covering this team, whatever, if a scout approached you, they found you, talked to you and said, Hey, sell me on why Greg Newsom makes sense for us in the first round. Give me your, uh, synopsis of what you would tell somebody for why you think he's a great first round pick and why he ultimately makes it in the NFL. Well, I think he's, he's a, he's a very good athlete. I mean, if you saw, I, I was blown away by his, uh, his workout, you know, he ran a four, three, whatever it was, I think officially, officially, I think it was a four, three, nine or something like that. Um, he's a tremendous athlete. He's got a, a great work ethic and he has that drive to be the best. He also, he always wants to be the best, uh, out there, no matter what he's doing. And I think he's going to push to be the best cornerback out there. He's physical, uh, he's confident. He's strong. I think he's going to be a, a great fit uh, for the Cleveland Browns. And and I tell you, you know, you're talking about being a smart guy. I, if I saw the clip of him at the uh, Cavs game last week and he's wearing a Jim Brown jersey. I mean, brilliant kid, right? I mean, <laughs> you talk about getting fans on your side. I thought that was a great move. That's awesome, man. This has been great. Really insightful stuff about Greg. I know people are very excited about him and we're happy. And I know Northwestern is trending in a great direction. Two first round picks for the first time and a ton of talent over that way. And, you know, I'm in the central Ohio area and I can, I can honestly say that people that support Ohio state really respect that program. So it's an awesome time to cover him. Thanks for, for giving us some time, Louie. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jake. All right. A big thank you to Louie for coming on the show. I know it's tough sometimes to, uh, step away from the daily grind. Most of those these folks have been really receptive and and uh, in doing so. And this was a much easier task finding Notre Dame coverage as it is probably the single biggest media market for a college football independent team there is. I was lucky enough to come across Tyler James. He's at TJamesNDI on Twitter. He's their football writer for the South Bend Tribune. He's a Notre Dame insider as well and had plenty to say about Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. This was a fun interview. 
uh, because he is a fun player, fun person, really interesting guy. So let's get over to our interview with Tyler and yuck it up about the Brown surprise second round pick. Tyler, we're excited to have you, man. I, I um, you know, obviously talked about you off air for the, for our listeners. Uh, I'm not a Notre Dame guy, but I, I'm, I'm. Listen, I'm an Ohio guy. Cleveland gets weird. We get all these different things. Michigan, up, up hmm. by Cleveland, you get the Michigan, Ohio State, and then you do get a lot of Notre Dame fans. So I thought in the last two years, the Browns took Peoples Jones, they took Tommy Togiai from Ohio State, and now, now obviously they've selected. Uh, who we're going to talk about here, Jeremiah Wusukormo. So Andrew Barry's doing a great job keeping the wide variety of Cleveland fans happy, man. So I'm pumped you're here, I can, and you can kind of relate to uh, our fan base what you know about Jeremiah from covering him from his early time. wasn't a big recruit by any stretch, and I think if I'm wrong here, you can correct me. He was committed to Virginia originally, and then and Notre Dame came in a little late. So talk to me a little bit about what you knew about him as a recruit, and then we'll dive into uh, what he was at uh, your time covering him. Yeah, so Jeremiah was actually someone that they recruited for the specific position that he played at Notre Dame, which is called the Rover linebacker. Um, and it was a new position in the defense that Notre Dame was was using because after the 2016 season, they fired Brian Van Gorder. Well, that happened during the season, but after the season, they hired Mike Elko um, from Wake Forest, and Mike Elko brought with him Clark Lee. Um, and they, they had known of Jeremiah Usukoromoa from their recruiting process out there, um, and they decided to go after him sort of later in the recruiting process here at Notre Dame. And uh, they identified him as someone that um, he was the, they were the, he was their very first rover recruit at Notre Dame. Um, obviously, that ended up working out uh, for them in the long run. But they really liked what he could do, his versatility. He uh, kind of he was more of a safety than a linebacker in high school. But they they liked that about him. Um, because of some of the coverage aspects that they want the rover linebackers to be able to do, and so um, they, Notre, uh, Jeremiah backed off his Virginia commitment and was looking at Notre Dame and Michigan State, and committed to Notre Dame. It was kind of a funny staged moment on National Signing Day. Brian Kelly was giving his uh, press conference talking about the recruits, and they had Jeremiah call him while he was giving his press conference, and Brian Kelly answers the phone, which. He held the phone up to his ear while it was still ringing. So it was clearly like a staged event. Uh, but he walks out in the hallway and answers it and says, hello, Jeremiah. And then they, Jeremiah tells him that he wants to sign with Notre Dame or whatever. So um, it was uh, a, a little bit of a, a contrived event but uh, and give a little buzz around it. But it ended up being worth all of that because he ended up being an outstanding linebacker at Notre Dame in his last two seasons with the Irish. Yeah, let's talk about that. Was there in your early time covering his career, his his first year, I think he was more of a scout team redshirt type, and then he comes on as a freshman. Starts starts to look as I'm not sure. Did he redshirt his freshman year? I, I think he did, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. He did not uh play at all as his fresh as a freshman, and then in twenty eighteen he played in two games and then in practice uh broke his foot and so That's that right. sidelined him for the whole twenty eighteen season, which was a, a good season for Notre Dame as well. Um, so I'm sure that that was very frustrating for him and um, Notre Dame wasn't necessarily looking for him to start that season so that they, they were able to to withstand the loss of him but then by the time the 2019 season came around they were ready for him to take on a primetime role as that starting rover yeah was he was he like 
was there buzz about him his first two years? I know he breaks the foot and he's running scout team, but was there like a, we're really excited in the spring before 2019 to get this guy on the field? We think he can be special because he pops, right? I think he had like 80 tackles. I'm reading here 13 and a half TFLs, you know, five and a half sacks, four passes broken up. He made a 2019 impact, not what he becomes in 2020 where he's, you know, everything defensive player of the year, the Buckus uh, first team, whatever. Like was, I guess my question is, was there a growing buzz about him, or was it okay? His junior year hits, or whatever, and everyone's—or I guess it would have been his—it was his junior year. It hits, and everyone's yep. like, "Okay, this guy's for real." Yeah, I think there was there was some buzz about that. I think the sort of the the potential that they had, especially being that he was that first guy that they recruited at the rover position, so there was a a belief within the program that he would be sort of the peak, or as close as the peak as you could come to sort of what they wanted from that position and and the way Clark Lee and Mike Elko like coach their defenses, they would, they could scheme that Rover out. They could just replace him with a nickel, a corner, a nickel cornerback on third downs if they wanted to. But as, as we saw throughout Jeremiah's career, he, he showed that he could stay on the field and cover some of those slot guys and, and they could be comfortable with those situations. So yeah, there was some buzz um, of what he could become. I don't know that he, everything was necessarily clicking for him yet. It, It was, he needed some time to sort of understand everything that was going to be asked of him at that position. Um, and uh, he certainly, when he was able to get healthy after that 2018 season, took advantage of that. Yeah, he, listen, We I've only watched really tape. I mean, I've watched some 2019 tape, but almost as much 2020 as I could get my hands on. And in Cleveland, we were anticipating he would be a very serious target at 26. I just had my guest on before this where we talked about Greg Newsom where they took a 26. And and I love Greg Newsom, Northwestern kid. He's, you know, I, I we really like him. But the, the the buzz in Cleveland really popped when they traded up to take uh Cormoa here, Wusu Cormoa here. And, and and what's interesting is like I'm curious, you know, how big of a leader did did he have that sort of gravity toward him? Uh, as his as his career wore on, where teammates were drawn to him, was he a leader? Was he a captain type? Like you know this stuff from covering them every day. People on the outside, myself, who are just kind of looking in. I've had a, I, I watched his first press conference with the team, and I was just kind of blown away by the maturity in which he answered questions. The sort of even even the vocabulary like this to me is like I could see. You know, I played small college football. I'm like I could see a lot of people being drawn to this guy. Was there that magnetism for him at Notre Dame? Yeah, definitely. He had the respect of his teammates. They all they all appreciated what he did. He was he was able to communicate with them well and relate well to guys. And I think um, he's an interesting kid. He he wants to learn more about all kinds of different aspects of life. And uh, he I think he traveled to uh, Brazil. I think during for uh, to study abroad program for a little bit for a few weeks and learned some Portuguese. He was even speaking Portuguese during his pro day uh, press conference. Uh, not, not, not in any like great to any great lengths, but just small <laughs> phrases here or there. But, um, yeah. And so he, he's a very spiritual, spiritual kid. So, um, I think a lot of, and that's a, a common and, and thing at Notre Dame, obviously. Um, so I think that, uh, he, he was definitely very respected by his teammates, had a presence about him. And you could even see like just the night of the first round of the NFL draft, like people are like, this is this is ridiculous. Why isn't Jeremiah being picked? Like people were being pretty yeah. vocal. Like this is this is an outrage. What is going on? How like why are they sleeping on Jeremiah? Because that's a, that's how well respected he was. And I, I don't think it's not a lot of like college football players don't necessarily do that 
um, like on a whim. Like they're not going to do that just because he's their teammates. Because they genuinely believe in his talent, um, and they they know the kind of person and and and, and leader he is. Well, that's that's what we're excited about. Is is not only are they they're trying to get some more of the accountability, toughness, leadership aspect in the locker room, and a lot of that is what I noticed just in one conversation he's talking to you know us in the media and i was just drawn to that idea so i wanted to get your opinion and i don't know why he slid i mean we i i watch film of this kid and i'm like i don't think the browns have really drafted a guy or had a guy like this i think jabril peppers kind of had a little bit of this but i don't think jabril played nearly as instinctual or nearly as quick and and uh his you know jeremiah's traits in terms of his size and speed are every bit as good as what Jabril had at a bigger, you know, at a bigger frame in terms of how he can operate at his size. So, you know, I don't know. Did you guys know anything about the heart issue there? I mean, I don't know if it's ultimately a reason he slid. There's this rumbling that comes out. The Browns said they were comfortable with it. And if they're comfortable with it, it's not a thing. But was this like something that was low-key talked about or was it kind of always hidden? Uh, yeah, I, I had no idea about it. That was certainly news to me. I mean, we're all sitting there wondering what's going on. Why are people not taking him? And there's people tweeting different things from scouts of like this is why like he's you have to like have a specific defense to use him and different uh explanations like from at least from their standpoint of why someone like him would fall and I, i i don't know i mean i wonder if maybe like the isaiah simmons thing with the Arizona Cardinals not going as well as people thought, at least in, yeah. the, in his rookie year. Maybe that has something to do with it. I, I don't, they're not exactly the same player, but I think there's some similarities there. Um, I, I, Jeremiah certainly isn't a huge person. Like he, he's he would be an undersized linebacker, but he plays physical. Um, and uh, I think uh, to me, it, like it, it, the the heart news was surprising, but it was also like, okay, this makes way more sense than defensive coaches in the NFL not knowing what to do with him because sure. like uh, if it uh, like is the are we saying that okay Clark Lee Notre Dame's defensive coordinator he's just like one of the greatest football minds in the world which <laughs> I think Clark Lee is a very he's a very smart guy and I yeah. think he has a very bright future he got hired as Vanderbilt's head coach in this offseason um, that's his alma mater so and he's got his hands full at Vanderbilt that's not necessarily an easy program to win at but um, he, he definitely knows a lot about football. He, he's a guy that if you sit down and listen to him talk, you learn something every time. He, he's like a professor as, as a football coach. So um, I, I, I don't know. It was it was very curious to me to see him falling and even even more perplexing if the reason was like he's too like he's too much of a tweener and they can't figure out what to do. So I, I don't know. He's he's a ball player in my eyes and just put him out there and he's going to make some plays for you. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head between the Isaiah Simmons thing, maybe some low-key rumblings about the heart, and uh, a mixture of maybe some teams don't have that position. Even if it's not like we can't use him, some teams just prefer not to use that type of player. The Browns do, and that's why I think it's a hand-in-glove fit. So, uh, great insights, Tyler. Last question I'll have for you to go, man, is kind of sell the Browns fan base on the type of player they're getting with Jeremiah. Like, just kind of like if you were talking to... Uh, a scout if a scout asks you hey man what did you think of him covering him do you think he's a real player just kind of tell me your overall comprehensive thoughts of him yeah he's a good kid he he uh has his uh head straight on his shoulders he knows knows what making it to the nfl means to him it means a lot to him he takes a lot of pride in his work as a player um he's a freakish athlete he can do all kinds of things that you ask him to in my opinion like Certainly, he could be a third down defensive player, but I, I don't think I think he plays all the downs. You don't ever have to take him off the field. You can play him on special teams. I think he can do a little bit of everything. So I think that's 
why uh, coaches and... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And fans should be excited to have Jeremiah Wusukoro on their team. He's a guy that's going to get after it. He knows that not everything's going to be given to him. He's willing to work for it. Um, and uh, he's going to tap into every ounce of potential that he has and, and put everything he has into it to make uh, his, his NFL career a success. Listen, Tyler, this was fantastic, guys. He, he's the football writer. He covers Notre Dame for the South Bend Tribune. Uh, if you want some more information on Notre Dame or follow along with them, you should follow him at TJamesNDI. Make sure you're doing that good football insights and a fantastic guest, Tyler. Thanks for taking time for us, man. Really appreciate it, and hopefully we can touch base in a couple years when we got a Pro Bowl player here. No problem. Sounds like a plan. All right, we keep chugging along here. We are going to continue looking at the Browns' first two-day picks here. Now we touch on Anthony Schwartz, who, if you have not followed along, there's been a ton of great coverage about this young man. I think it's it's a testament to how well he is received by his uh, his peers, those who cover him, and those who care about Auburn sports. They just really like Anthony Schwartz. And I couldn't just interview one person. We lead off with Jeff Shearer. He covers... Uh, the, the the Auburn football program and basketball program, senior writer for AuburnTigers.com. He does fantastic work. So I wanted to get his opinion from working with Anthony up close and personal. And then there was a really, really great series called Road to the Pros. It caught my eye, uh, especially how they covered Anthony from every angle uh, through Alabama.com. So I wanted to really dig in on who Anthony is and the best way to dig in on who he is, not just interviewing Jeff, but then going around and kind of interviewing the folks who are doing this road to the pros because they get an up-close and, and personal feel for these people better than I can, uh, obviously, just even watching the show. So I had Gianna Han on, who, who is the writer covering this. She's not the videographer. She's the writer covering it, and she has some great insights. And it's a four-part series covering his time in Miami, well, covering his track days leading up to Auburn, who he was before he got to Auburn, his time at Auburn. Then episode three is kind of his training program in, in Florida and all of that and how he's working to get better. And then the draft day one, which was just dropped, which was fantastic, kind of showing his draft night and his time with his family and his moment with his mom. It was all really great. So I wanted to have Gianna on to talk about it. So you're going to hear Jeff's interview first, then Gianna. I hope you enjoy it because Anthony Schwartz is a really, really fun person, fun player, and I think the Browns are, are going to be better for having him. So let's get over to those two interviews real quick. Jeff, listen, man, we're talking about speed in Cleveland, something they desperately need in their offense, and they landed it with Anthony Schwartz. And I'm checking around looking for people that have wrote stories on him and did a nice job covering him. I came across your name, obviously, at AuburnTigers.com. I could not thank you more for joining me, man. 
uh, happy to do it. And uh, as a native Ashlander from, from the Buckeye State there, not, not too, too far down the road, down I-71 from Cleveland, it's uh, always great to talk to people from Northeast Ohio. And uh, Anthony Schwartz is, is excited to be a Brown, and I hope Browns fans are excited for what he's going to bring to Cleveland for sure. We absolutely are, man. What a small world that is when we connected and talked about that off air. That is that is unique. It's like Ohio just goes everywhere. So we'll stick to Schwartz, though, because you and I could probably do about 30 minutes on the Buckeye State. <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about the burner, man. He he tell me a little bit about, you know, SEC speed is a thing. And, you know, up here in Big Ten country, we talk about the SEC probably more than we care to talk about in general or admit in general, I should say. But the SEC speed is a real thing. And Anthony had that. He had world class speed. Was that something when he came into Auburn? People were like, we got to find a way to use this guy right away. He can get on the field for us early. Exactly. To the point that even throughout his freshman year, there, there were real questions about, is this a track guy or a football guy? Because he's, he's really good at both of them. And even, I think, in Anthony's mind, even through his freshman spring, after his first football season into the, the track and field season of his uh, freshman season, freshman year, there were there still was that question of which one of these is he ultimately going to pursue full time because he said as much that he really didn't know if he'd rather be a gold medalist or an NFL player. And again, that was three years ago. And obviously since then he's exclusively devoted himself to football, but this is a guy that whose speed, as you said, was world-class and the track and field high school athlete of the year nationally, just not, not too long ago. So he's someone whose speed, Obviously, that's that's a weapon that attracted the Browns, and it's one that attracted a former Auburn coach, Gus Malzahn, when he recruited Anthony out of Florida. And obviously, that's something that they wanted to, to take advantage of that right away because in in space, you're not going to catch him, right? If he if he runs by you, or if it's just if it's a foot race, you're not going to win that. So that's the reason that he was successful in the SEC, and obviously that the Browns invested a pretty high draft choice on him. What what at what time did he um, uh, Jeff did he give up track and field or did he continue it through most of his Auburn career? I believe he was only on the on the track team through his freshman season, so that would have been the spring of 2019. And then I think okay. he has been full time football the last last couple of years. Obviously, the 2020 track season uh, kind of ended before it got going really last March, so maybe that helped make his decision for him. But I think he was already leaning. To, to being a full-time football guy after by 20, by the 2019 football season. Yeah. Good, good stuff there is, is Gus. I would imagine now that the coaching changes happened, there's been some things that have gone on there, but before, you know, before Gus left, there was, it was exciting to me to see him in that offense. And did he, did he give praise? Was he, was he a guy, I guess it's tough because there's track guys and there's football guys and there's, there's a little bit of maybe this guy isn't tough enough. And I know that Anthony talked about that, when he was drafted and leading up to it, I've seen videos of him being a little bit annoyed by it. Like, was there an element there where they, they wanted to feature him more and he couldn't quite handle it because you talk about the four, two speed. And it's like, you would think this guy would be used in a bunch of different ways and it would work for thousands of yards, but it just, it just didn't quite take off. So I guess my big question is, you know, now looking back on what happened in his last two years, there, kind of why didn't he produce at a crazy high level that would have maybe launched him into a first round discussion. I think a lot, part of the plan was to get him the ball in space. And the, one of the easier ways to do that was to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage to him or give, hand it off to him on jet sweeps. So he was used in a short passing game and then as a deep threat where you take your deep shots. I don't know that he was ever featured extensively as 
15, 20, between 10 and 20 yards downfield. So I think it was that they let's get it to him uh, close to the line of scrimmage and let him let him go to work or or throw the home run ball to him. And I think at the next level, I would expect that that, that intermediate passing game is going to be a part of it that really wasn't here uh, to a to a large degree. Yeah, I think they're going to try to do exactly those things you said, but then try to expand with him slowly, kind of the way they've tried to work Donovan Peoples-Jones into being more of a complete player who they took out of Michigan last year. So I'm interested, too, you talk about he's, he fits a niche. That's okay. Guys get into the NFL, and if you can fit a niche, you can last for years. It's the guys who don't get a niche at all that end up falling out of it quickly, and he has a trait that gives him that ability to, to find a niche in the NFL. And I'm curious about him as a person. You know, we talk about – players that, that get picked early. It doesn't just have to be quarterbacks, but they have that sort of personality that forces them into the limelight of a team captain or a guy who you just, you spend time around him and Jeff, you, you interviewed him and talked to him. Is he a leadership type guy? Is he a people that people, a guy that people are drawn to, or is he just a guy that ultimately fits in, which is okay too. You know, there's nothing wrong with that in any stretch, you know, guys just have to fit in sometimes, but I always like to get a feel for the person. I know I've, I've seen some things about his uh, interest in theme parks and Star Wars and a whole bunch of he's a unique guy but I was just kind of curious about his personality is he kind of quiet sullen or is he more outgoing leadership type yeah somewhere probably in between he's an easy guy to to uh he's an easy guy to like I'd put it that way he doesn't yeah could come off as arrogant or boastful or anything like that he knows that he's been blessed with a skill set that not many people on this planet have and, and he knows that that's has put him in the position that he's in. And, and yet he's, he doesn't have the big head. I don't know that he's, I would consider him a vocal leader, a kind of that rah, rah guy that's going to try to rally everybody, but that's okay. I think you already have that in your your quarterback uh, up there. I think he he just wants to do his job and enjoy it and uh, grow and and break into this profession and, and see what he can do. But one thing that I admire about Anthony you talk about toughness and is he a track guy who plays football or is he a football player? Well, he played special teams and he was on the coverage units, obviously taking advantage of, of that speed that he has. And, uh, and that tells me something about him right away that you got to obviously to be a special teams player, you need to be unselfish and, and a team guy. And I think that that's one of the things that Anthony Schwartz is. Yeah. And that, that really sells some of the thing the last question I ask everybody I have on, which is like, you know, if I was a scout and came to you, we were drinking a cup of coffee, chatting, and I said, Anthony Schwartz, sell me on this young man being successful in the NFL. You know, it could be personality, could be play base. What do you think he ultimately becomes in the NFL? Like, what's his selling point? I think you have to start with speed, just because that that's the reason that he is where he is, because he can run that 4-2-6 or 4-2-9 at the combine and a 4-2-6 unofficially at pro day. And if you can find ways to maximize that, then you're going to have a, a home run threat there. And also, I think he's a guy who's going to be good in the locker room. I don't, he was, I never heard of anything off the field that would uh, dissuade a team from investing in him. Obviously, the Browns probably found, agreed with that when they did their due diligence. I also think he's someone, he said right now, he's going to be working after the mini camp before training camp down in, uh, in the Miami and South Florida area. Uh, and Jarvis Landry is down there. And I, I think Jarvis is someone who's going to be a mentor to him. And that's the way that, that Anthony looks at that. And I think he appreciates having somebody who's been in the league for however many years Landry's been in there, who plays his same position. And uh, I think he's looking forward to kind of learning the ropes and learning what it takes to be a professional and to succeed at that level. 
that's a great point about Jarvis because Jarvis is not a runner. He can't take the trait that Anthony has, but I think Anthony can learn a lot from Jarvis from the nuanced perspective of that position. So Jeff, listen, man, this was great stuff. You can find Jeff's work uh, on Twitter. You can find it at auburntigers.com. He does great stuff. Listen, the Browns are always going to be interested in players coming out of Auburn. I am sure Jeff, that we will connect in the coming years, maybe to talk about another fantastic talent coming out of that university. I could not thank you more for your time. Make sure you follow him. I will post his uh, Twitter handle in the uh, description of this podcast and, and you can check out all the work being done. Jeff, again, thank you so much for this. My pleasure. And uh, have a great season up there with the Browns. Deanna Browns fans should be a really excited about Anthony Schwartz, who we've talked about, but B I think that they get an inside look at this young man from a unique perspective, not only the video work you guys did, but also the write-up that you did, which is just phenomenal stuff. Talk to the Browns audience here kind of about what that was like for you to cover Anthony from that inside perspective, because it was real, real access that not many people or players, I should say, give. Yeah, so I actually didn't start covering Anthony until his sophomore year because um, I just started at Auburn. So I only knew him, you know, on like that one level of one year outside of pandemic, but I did my research coming down and I was reading all about the fastest player. He's the fastest player in college football. So over the course of working on this project, I actually got to learn like where that came from because I was looking at his track times and like, he didn't really like blow up the SEC when he was running track. So I was like, where did this come from? So I had started um, actually last year. We, we do one every year series called Road to the Pros. And last year, a videographer asked if I wanted to come along and do a written portion of it because it kind of can explore a little bit a different side of what the video can. So this year we went down to Tampa and then to Miami first to follow Anthony through his draft workout and then follow or then meet his mom and all like his mentors, his coaches, his grandma, all those people. Um, And it was just really cool. I learned so much more about him. Um, I learned that the fastest player in college football is very, very legit. Not only did he set a world youth record um, as a track star in high school, he ran a 10 flat (laughs) in, in high school, but then Bleacher Report went out and looked at all the like running times and like uh, across the country that was that were playing football at the time, all the college football players and compared them. And they used a variety of different things that they're looking at. And they determined that Anthony was indeed the fastest player. Um, and just like getting to know him was really cool from the player perspective, from that background perspective, also as a person, because, you know, you might think he's one sort of way from the way he either talks in press conferences or mainly on social media, but he's actually like really quiet down to earth guy um, who isn't afraid of the fact that he's a little bit of a nerd and loves like Star Wars, really loves Star Wars and loves soccer and not and play FIFA and not like Madden or 2K. So it was just a really cool all around experience to get to know him. And he was amazing to work with. He was always willing to answer the phone if I need to check something and, you know, introduce this to everyone that was important in his life. That's awesome. We can, I mean, I've watched all of them. I would, I would suggest all Browns fans spend the time, not only watching them, but reading the write-ups because you get some things from the write-up that you don't get from the video and vice versa. So you guys did it in four parts. Can you kind of tell everybody about those four parts and sort of what they would be getting into? Yeah. So the first part is about, it's basically supposed to be childhood to his Auburn career. Um, But I think the most important thing that you're going to get in that one is all that track stuff. Um, I actually go into it in the writing deeper in episode three, but in the first one in the video, they start to lay it out. And I also laid the groundwork. So you hear about how he got into track um, 
and like how that speed developed it was funny because we asked him where the speed came from and he was like my mom says she walks us and my dad said he ran track but I think it came from me and then his mom claimed it and his dad claimed it and his coaches claimed (laughs) it so it was very funny to learn about um so you just kind of go through that. You learn about his football dreams. Um, you learn a little bit about his childhood, something we didn't get super into. That's really, really cool. And you might've seen the tweets is that his little league coach made this team and kept them together from six years all the way through high school or to high school. And then the high school coach took over. And then that high school ended up having, I think seven, yeah, seven guys drafted or signed with the NFL and a ton of them were on that little league team so that was just really cool to learn about we talked to uh his coach Patrick Sertan and then now his son was one the first round draft pick so that was really just like who is Anthony what made Anthony this person and what led him to go to Auburn because you'll see he was a huge Gator slam so in episode two simple it's it's Auburn career um and so for nothing with Anthony simple because you know you have that track thing so you learn a little bit about him on the field for football, but also him on the field for track. Um, and so, cause he was a two sport athlete, which is just crazy. And then I think one of the most important or most important, one of the most interesting things to come out of that was at the end of my first year covering, he made like huge headlines. Cause he told everyone, okay, now I have to decide between pursuing an Olympic career and pursuing an NFL career. And he told us that like, while we're doing this, that that was actually just set out of frustration. He never, ever planned to like walk away from football because football is his first love. So that was probably the most interesting tidbit from there. Um, then we go into pre-draft. And so that's where I start getting into the track stuff because like from the written perspective, because he said the biggest, detra- like what his detractors are saying, the biggest thing they pointed out was that he's a track guy, you know, track guys are soft or they only have straight line speed and they can't translate it into the football field. And so he was explaining that, no, he's a football. He's always been a football player. Track came later. He only did track to improve on the football field. Um, So we talk about that. And then I wanted to display just how committed he was to football by showing that he walked away from like (laughs) making some serious money as a professional track athlete. So that was the third one. And then the fourth one just dropped today. Um, So Thursday after the draft, and it's about just like draft the party. Um, That was what the video is. It covers like what it was like leading up to it and the moments that he got drafted. And since I interviewed them a little bit after the videographers did, I also got into what it was like for him to go to Cleveland to explore it and what he's looking forward to, what his mom is looking forward to. I'm planning to reshare this later, but I think a really funny little thing, it's, it's just a little thing, but Anthony and his mom have never seen snow. So they're going to get to see a whole lot of that when they get to Cleveland. So um, yeah, it's just like, it's four different stages of his life leading up to the biggest day of his life and what that was like for him. Yeah. It's you, it's really unique. And I, I mean, I, that you saying that about Anthony and snow, it's, it's funny because I played small college football in Ohio and we bring a lot of guys up from Florida and they had never known mm-hmm. anything to do with snow. And it was always really unique to watch them see snow for the first time. So I'm sure that'll be a really cool moment for him and his mom. But like, what's interesting to me, were you able to join them on their draft night, like at the house? 
I wasn't able to, a different videographer did, because okay. I cover all of them. So we like I had other players to be keeping track of and stuff. Sure, but sure, I sure. wish I could have. <laughs> yeah, really, really cool, man. And and I think that I had commented on somebody noting it today. It was a really unique video. And it's just I'm a sucker for any draft video because <laughs> his his moment with his mom is just like it's just really cool. And I think that's the biggest thing is is how much you know, he's got a lot of people in his life and he's connected mm -hmm. to a lot of different folks because he's built relationships with important people, like famous people like Patrick Sertan and that the mm -hmm. connections and he's training with Randy Moss, but it's him and his mom. And that raw moment is really unique when they're hugging and kind of sharing that moment together. That that's his person, right? Like his, some, some people don't always stay close to their mom, but him and his mom have a special relationship, right? For sure. And I mean, I was talking with my coworker who runs the whole project today and uh, he was like, I hope like that wasn't too embarrassing for them. And I was like, no, that's like what makes him real. You know, that really shows you who he is. But the interesting thing is, and this is also coming out soon, um, doing story on Auburn players and their moms. And that's just like the type of guy Auburn recruits that might sound like a marketing thing that they always no. talk about. But as I've gotten to know the players, like every single one of them is kind of like that. Like their moms just mean a lot to them. And so it's really sweet. And it's cool to see that like, Come, that raw emotion that just came out it was i i got a little teary <laughs> <laughs> hey so did i i think everybody should those are unique moments for those guys well she's gianna han she's at gianna underscore jade on twitter she she covers everything auburn she covers the beat for them i am sure that this will not be the last time we'll cross paths because the browns will continue to draft mm -hmm. out of that great school down south so gianna thank you for taking time for browns fans i will make sure to link your work uh all of it in the bio of this uh, this podcast and check it out because it should go around Cleveland because Anthony's a unique guy and John and her, her, her videographers did a fantastic job covering it. So thank you so much again. Of course, no problem. And I hope you guys have fun covering Anthony and seeing him bring, as I said, flash to the Cleveland Browns roster. Okay, last but certainly not least is James Hudson who has who has really a remarkable story. If you do not pay attention, he was a young man who started at Michigan and, um, you know, he spent time there. Defensive line as a recruit out of Toledo, eventually switched over to offensive line after his redshirt year, and then left the program, uh, you know, citing depression, having some issues mentally that him and Jim Harbaugh or, or had a, a squabble over the validity of those issues. He tried to apply for a hardship to go to Cincinnati and be eligible right away. That request was denied. Uh, by the NCAA. He eventually got back that year and played in the bowl game. They approved him to play in that, but um, just an interesting process. He goes then down to Cincinnati and plays left tackle, and the Browns take him in the fourth round. A little bit surprising, but when you watch the film, which I have broken down his tape, uh, really, really detailed breakdown of who he is as a player. I like him a lot, and I like him for what the Browns are going to want that player to do, and down the line, truly has starter potential. So I, I certainly see the traits that the Browns like, but an interesting young man who has a story unique, a personality that is unique, especially when you heard him talk in his press conference about his studying of Joe Thomas tape and his excitement to be in Cleveland. And he, uh, he had mentioned even that he was, he was expecting Cincinnati to take him with the pick after Cleveland. So he, uh, he said that kind of was floating around in his head, the, the ability to stay down in Cincinnati. But even better, more excited to be traveling up I-71, 
playing in Cleveland. And uh, the Browns are excited to have him. I think he's excited to be in Cleveland. And this is an opportunity to talk about the young man. And I think Keith Jenkins does a fantastic job. He's at Mr. Keith Jenkins on Twitter. He is the uh, multimedia journalist, speaker, and host. He does many things. He's a Cincinnati Bearcats reporter for The Inquirer, which is Cincinnati.com. He's, uh, he's well worth a follow if you're into anything Cincinnati sports, especially the Bearcats, basketball, or football. Let's get over to his interview because he's got some great insights on James Hudson. Okay, I'm pretty pumped to have Keith here. He's, he, he covers Cincinnati football, does a fantastic job of it. A lot of excitement around that program right now. A lot of draft picks, uh, a lot of guys we were interested up here in Cleveland, and they came away in the fourth round. You know, we talked about it on air when we did our live broadcast show, Keith, about that maybe the Browns would be interested in the linemen at some point. Having the best line in the NFL last year, we're kind of like, okay, maybe they won't invest a high pick, but they really like James Hudson. So talk to me a little bit about your time covering him and uh, what Browns fans can ultimately expect from this player. Yeah, James is a special player. He's a he's a uh, extremely talented player. He's huge, um, and I think the the most intriguing thing about James is having a player of his athleticism, his quickness um, at his size. You just don't see that often. Um, and he, the, the thing that I think pays dividends for James um, is he didn't start his career as a left tackle, as an offensive lineman. Yeah. Uh, he came into the college ranks as one of the top uh, defensive ends in the country and uh, made that transition. So the Browns got a steal late. I think um, I think had James played for, you know, a, a larger program, a power five, quote unquote, program instead of Cincinnati, he'd probably have gone sooner. Um, but given that he played his and had his best year at the University of Cincinnati, a, a non-par five, a group of five, I think that kind of shows you why he tumbled a little bit. I think on most boards, he was a late third round pick. Um, but to be able to get him at, you know, where they were able to get him at, um, it's a huge win for the Browns and they got a really, really good football player. Yeah, I think the thing that I noticed when he speaks or when he had a chance to talk to the Cleveland media here for the first time, very articulate guy, like I just thought he was very thoughtful, had a lot of, you could tell he's been through some things at the college level, come out on the other side, feels better for it. Talk to me a little bit and enlighten the fans here. There was an issue when James left Michigan. I think there was a note of uh, some depression that he was feeling and decided to leave the Michigan program. And Jim Harbaugh fought that a little bit, which caught some national attention. And I, and I think that we get lost a little bit looking at criticizing Jim Harbaugh and all the stuff that came with that is the person, you know, is, is what James was able to come out on the other side. So I know you weren't necessarily covering the team at the time, but you were aware of the things around it. So kind of touch on that if you can and, and teach uh, Browns fans how he came out of that. Yeah. So, you know, just with, with, with James's background, you know, he was a top rated defensive end. Um, he committed to Kentucky initially and then uh, backed out of that commitment wanted to enjoy the process of, of, of being uh, recruited and, and, you know, how fun that is and whatnot. And then John Harbaugh came in, scooped him up and went to Michigan. And he went from having to be a defensive end to then them transitioning him to offensive tackle, um, which obviously would be a tough uh, transition probably mentally more than anything um, for a young man who, you know, earned his success on the field as on the defensive end. Um, so him transitioning to that was a tough challenge, but he accepted it and went with it. And then um, he decided to enter the transfer portal, um, citing depression. And then Cincinnati scooped them up. Like you said, John Harbaugh fought that. Um, and I, I think, so that, that created a bit of a turbulent uh 
exit from Michigan and then a turbulent entrance into Cincinnati. Um, and then he played a game at Cincinnati. He filed for a hardship. It was declined. Um, and so he had to sit out a year. And it was just a really weird um, chapter in James Hudson's college career. And then, you know, once he got on the field at Cincinnati at a left tackle, he really only played one season um, at that position, but he was great. He was great. He was dominant. He was all conference. Um, and he, he, you know, you see quick feet, you see strong hands, you see a decisive player. Um, you just, you see a freak athlete at that position. Now, the challenge I think with James is, okay, how is he going to do against elite pass rushers in the NFL? He's a great athlete, um, but you're transitioning from the American Athletic Conference. Again, Cincinnati is a great team. They have great talent. They got power five talent on that team, but they're playing against teams that aren't, you know, NFL team, right? The caliber. Sure. Um, they're not playing in the SEC. They're not playing in the Big Ten. Um, so when he faces these elite pass rushers, I mean, heck, he's going to have one in his own division um, with, with Pittsburgh and, and Watt. So, um, but that's going to be the challenge to see, okay, you know, he's this great athlete, but then with his inexperience at the left tackle spot, um, how will he transition um, into the next level? I think he'll do well. I think he's a hard worker. Um, I think he's, uh, he's a smart player. He made a bad decision in the bowl game. You know, I don't want to yeah. jump in. Um, in the Peach Bowl, he had a he had a personal foul penalty, a targeting penalty that that um, proved to be costly for Cincinnati. Um, and he admitted that it was a mistake. It was a it was a bad judgment. And I think that was another thing that maybe dinged him a bit on draft day. Um, and that was a, something that he had to address and, and talk to a lot of teams about. Um, and he claims that it's it's past him and it's beyond him. Um, and you just got to take him for his word on that. But you're you're getting a guy who's a great athlete, a great teammate, a hard worker, um, and a guy who who I think the, the cool thing about what James and his perspective is having played defensive end at a high level, he kind of knows what to expect from that position, right? Um, so that's kind of a cool perspective that James brings at the offensive line spot. Yeah, I think that you made a couple fantastic points there, especially especially who he's going to have to face. The good thing for him is he will get Miles Garrett, Jadevian Clowney in practice, Tack McKinley, and and that can that can hopefully open your eyes early because they're some of the best doing it. But he does also get the best offensive line coach we consider in the NFL, Bill Callahan, and they're really I mean Callahan raved about him, so we're pretty excited from that perspective of a guy. You know, bringing the experience Bill does on the offensive line to speak so highly of him is really neat. So pretty pumped about that, too. And 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 yeah, you're right. I think some of the things that you see with James is that the stories, the national stories that get run about the depression stuff, the reason he left to block the transfer. And then you're right again, the the hit that defined the Peach Bowl. Right. Or what I think it was the Peach Boy. The, the, the yep. thing that, that yep. defined the whole game was. You know, he he loses his ability to play in that game, and then the left tackle to replace him, big fella, but could not handle Aziz Ojolari, and it ends up uh, costing him a lot of a lot of attempted uh, drives there that cost the game. So James is important, and I think that that put it under a microscope, and and we're excited to have him. Listen, last thing I'll ask you, Keith, I've kind of asked everybody that I've I've brought on about the players they cover is just kind of the person. Like, was he a guy that his teammates were drawn to, commanded respect, the leadership? I don't know if he was a captain or not. It's kind of tough to track that information down sometimes, but not that you have to be a captain to get the respect of your teammates around you, but just kind of what person are the Browns getting maybe as a player and then the communities, things like that. 
No, he, again, he, he's a really good dude. His teammates loved him. Des, Desmond Ritter, um, big fan of James for obvious reasons. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a big part of, of Desmond Ritter's success. But, um, you know, I've, I've done stories, a few stories on on the offensive line. I've talked to uh, Ron Crook, the head coach, the, the, the offensive line coach here at Cincinnati. Um, and he just he just raved about his leadership. Um, you know, he's he's one of those guys. He's not the most vocal of guys, but he works his tail off. Um, and he, he, he really is one of those, you know, leadership uh, by example guys that um, he's very coachable. You tell him this and he's got it. He's not one of those guys where um, you got to tell him one, two, three, four times and, and finally he'll get it. Um, he's super, super coachable. And I mean, you, you brought up a great point. He's, he's, he's going into a position, I mean, a, a situation um, in Cleveland that has, I, I don't know, I, I'd say maybe the, the second or third best roster um, in the AFC. I mean, the Browns are freaking stacked. Um, and if they can get consistent quarterback play um, this season, I mean, I, I think they're, I would, I would make the argument that they're the, uh, the biggest challenger to the chiefs in that, in that, in that conference. Um, but I, I say that because I think it's a great spot for James to go. He's learning and having to, the ability to learn from the best in the game. And he's not going to be expected to be a tremendous impact player right away. Um, but you're getting a guy who's extremely talented physically, um, great feet, great hands, quick, athletic, um, has the capabilities of being an impact player right away, but he's not going to be able to be to ask to be axed of that, right? Like he's going to have yeah. time to develop and learn and grow. And and when you're facing Miles Garrett and in that defense night in and night out or day in and day out in practice, you're you're either going to improve or you're going to get left behind and off the <laughs> roster. And he's a guy that he'll improve, and, and he, so he's he's um at, at six five three twenty or whatever he is. Um, he doesn't move like it. He's, he's very quick. And again, if, if, if we were talking about a, a, a kid who was coming out of Alabama or maybe even if he had stayed at Michigan um, and his career worked out there, you know, we're probably talking about a second round pick. So yeah. um, it's a, it was a steal for the Browns. And, I, you know, I think we were all shocked here in Cincinnati um, to see him go as late as he did. But kudos to the Browns for, for seeing, you know, qualities in James and, and instilling him late. Yeah, a lot of the things you're saying there, the Browns echoed, especially about being stunned he was there at pick 110 when they were up and how eager they were to grab him. And I know you just gained some fans, Keith, with those Brown comments, so hopefully you can uh, hopefully you can handle some of them people flooding to your timeline. He's at Mr. Keith Jenkins on Twitter. He does fantastic work for Cincinnati.com, the Inquirer down there on the Cincinnati Bearcats, not just football, basketball. Comprehensively, he does it all. And I, uh, I really appreciate you, Keith, taking some time for us up north here, man. My man, appreciate it. And don't hold it against me, guys. I'm, I am a Bengals fan, but I got <laughs> in Cleveland. My pops is a Browns fan. And so um, I root for you guys, just not two weeks out of the year. <laughs> it's, I think it's a lot of the same. We just don't want Pittsburgh and Baltimore to take too much shine. So we try to keep 100%. it in Ohio. All right. Thanks, Keith. All right. Take care. And that's a wrap for part one. I really hope you guys enjoyed this the way I did interviewing these folks. We will have more to come in part two where we take a look at Tommy Togiai, Richard LeCount, 
Tony Fields and Demetric Felton from those who covered him and experienced talking to those young men. I think it's a really unique opportunity to learn more about these guys, the Browns draft, because these guys become part of the family of players we talk about nonstop. It's a big part of Andrew Barry's resume, all of it. It's it's really, really fun to learn about who these guys are beyond just the shoulder pads and the production on the field. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Again, we will be back with part two next week. I hope you've enjoyed the last week of podcasts. Some fun, great guests on Jake Trotter, Jeff Lloyd, among many others. John Colosimo, my good friend as well. Uh, yeah, it's been a blast. The live pods are up pretty much every day of the week. We'll come back Sunday night. Hopefully you have a great, great Friday and a great weekend and a great Mother's Day. Tell your mother you love her. Spend some time with her. Uh, That's all that matters. Spend time with them and tell them you love them and, and spend time with your family too, guys. Have a great weekend. As usual, connect with me on Twitter, whatever you need. And until we talk next time, go Browns. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com